Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. You are listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Moses, thank you for that wonderful introduction. And welcome back, listeners from all over the country. And now all over the world. We're going to start today's show off by doing one of my favorite things, and that is the winner of this month's five-star review contest. This review, written by Cody from down in Florida, entitled Making History Interesting. Moses, give Cody's review a whirl here. I don't really like history, but this show made me enjoy it. Derek's insight and the way he picks his topics make it fun for me. I hope he continues the show for a long time. I look forward to the first of every month. All right. A big thank you to Cody in Florida for that wonderful five-star review. If you'd like your review read on the air by Moses, you can be entered into our monthly contest. All you have to do is write a five-star review on iTunes, That helps us grow the show, it helps the show get recognized, and we'll help you get recognized if you win the contest. This month's show is brought to you by Lyft. One of our more successful sponsors, LYFT, you want to download the Lyft app, and you have to use the promo code DEREK605503. Now why would you do that? Because you want a good deal, and that code... We'll get the first-time user of the Lyft app a free ride. Rides are valued anywhere between $5 and $20, depending on what market you're in. And that discount code will get you $5 to $20 off your first ride. In most cases, your first ride will be completely free. What is Lyft? Let me tell you about this. You're going on vacation. You're going out partying. You don't want to drive. You want to take Lyft. L-Y-F-T, you download the app. It's about half the price of a taxi. What you will get is somebody who shows up in their personal vehicle, somebody who's actually passed a background screening, and somebody who's also been trained by a Lyft mentor. That is one of the differences between Lyft and Uber. I know Uber's been a sponsor on the show as well, but the thing that separates Lyft is this mentor process. They have a mentor who will meet with the driver once they pass the background check, and the driver has to satisfy that mentor by showing them how they will drive and doing a test run with the mentor. The mentor then gives them a score, and assuming that if they pass, then they can now be approved to drive for Lyft. This is a completely cashless system, so you enter your credit card information into the app You can get rides to and from almost anywhere in the country now. 
Lyft will give you an accurate estimate of what the fare will be before you accept the fare, and it will give you a timeline of how long it's going to take a driver to get to you. With the most recent upgrades, now you can carpool if there's several people that you want to stop and pick up along the way, you can do that. You can also set it up to where you can schedule a ride in advance. Let's say you've got a doctor's appointment coming up and you don't want to be driving after that doctor's appointment. So you schedule a Lyft ride in advance. The app has been updated so that you can schedule rides in advance. You can go to lyft.com and find out all the information there. If you want to get your first ride for free up to $20 in value, use promo code Derek, D-E-R-E-K, 605503. And a big thank you to all the listeners who have used the Lyft app during the month of February. We record the podcast in advance, obviously. And so far in the month of February, Lyft has been our largest sponsor. Why do we have sponsors on the Derek Izzy Show? Because that allows us to bring you the content for free. When you use our sponsors like Lyft, we get a kickback from them. I personally use the Lyft service as well. I had a recent experience where my car had to be worked on and I didn't have a way of getting back from the dealer where I was having the repairs done. So what did I do? Brought up my Lyft app and got myself a ride home so I wouldn't have to hang out at the dealer all day and wait for my car to be repaired. That's another use for that app. But again, thank you for the listeners out there who have used Lyft, making February one of our most successful months for our relationship with the Lyft company. And now, the topic of today's podcast. Today's podcast takes us back into the late 1600s and early 1700s, back when times were different. It wasn't at all like it is today. We didn't have problems with our neighbors. We didn't have everybody getting in everyone's business. We didn't have uproars and controversies amongst groups of people in our society. Not like it is today. Actually, it's exactly like it is today. Back in the late 1600s, justice was very similar to how social justice is today. If somebody's accused of a crime... It often gets blasted all over social media. The public is easily outraged regardless of whether or not the person's guilty. The fact that they were accused of the crime, and maybe they fit the profile of somebody who might commit a crime like that, the public assumes their guilt, and there's a big social outcry against them. Well, back in the 1690s, that's exactly what they were dealing with. In the 1690s in America there were some very strict religious communities. The Puritans were the dominant religion of the time, and there were several Christian sects that were part of the colonies back then. The religion of the time was very, very strict. You had to adhere to the biblical text, and the ministers in the communities were looked at as the real leaders. There were government officials and people of power in the community, but the church ministers wielded a lot of power and had the support of their congregations, and the congregations would do almost anything that the ministers asked. This was a time where you couldn't speak out against the church. If the church said one thing and you disagreed, the entire congregation would turn against you. You see this happening in our society Even with political debates, if you say something that's unpopular, 
you'll get a huge segment of society that will suddenly turn against you. Well, it was much like that back in the 1690s. Looking at society today, it's almost like we haven't learned a thing from the past. And I don't know why that is, but our paranoia today is very, very similar to the paranoia back in 1692. What I'm talking about is the Salem witch trials. Salem, Massachusetts, right outside the Boston area, was the home of the witch trials that occurred back in the colonial days in 1692 here in America. What were these witch trials? Basically, there was a group of people in which charges were brought against them for being witches. Each person had some different kind of quality. Several of them just had disagreements with people in power, and the way to settle those disagreements was to call them a witch and then put them on trial for witchcraft. Because of the Puritan beliefs at the time and the commitment and strength of the religious right, there was a lot of public outcry against the people that were accused of being witches. An actual trial took place, and these accused witches were brought into court. Now, I don't know if you can imagine this, but at the time, the people being accused were completely innocent. But can you imagine what that must have been like? You're completely innocent, and because you disagree with someone, or because you've upset someone, or maybe you were just crazy. I mean, some of the some of the information that I've read about how some of these accused witches have acted, it's obvious that some of them had some type of mental disease or disorder, but they weren't witches. At the time, a witch would have been considered someone who was basically an agent for the devil, someone who would cast spells, somebody who would put curses and hexes on people, someone who was really feared by the religious community. And the only way to stop that fear was to execute them. These executions were done in some horrible, horrible ways. Hanging was probably the most common method of execution. One of the men involved who was accused of being a witch, they pinned him down and they placed rocks on top of his chest. And they kept adding rocks to his chest, one by one, until he could no longer breathe and he ended up suffocating to death. One of the ministers involved in the Salem witch trials was a man known as Cotton Mather. Cotton was an extremely intelligent man, one of the pillars of his community at the time, and one of his contributions to these Salem witch trials was the introduction of something called spectral evidence. Basically, spectral evidence... This was the largest contributing factor in order to convict the accused witches. To sum up spectral evidence in an easy way to understand, basically it's based on the visions or the dreams of a witch's spirit or specter. So basically, even though a witch was being accused of something, spectral evidence had to do with what their spirit did. So for example... Let's say you and I got into an argument and we were yelling back and forth and then you said you wished I was dead and then a week later I get sick with terminal cancer. Well, there's no evidence that you actually gave me terminal cancer but spectral evidence would say that your spirit has cursed me with cancer. 
And when you are accused of that, you really have no way to defend it because it's illogical to begin with. This was a form of evidence that was used in most of these convictions of the so-called witches. But just imagine how that just imagine how that was for the people of that time. You're accused of being a witch, and then the evidence that they use against you is something that you can't deny because there's no proof that it actually exists. And again, that brings us back to you're not innocent until proven guilty. Back then it was society was against you, therefore evidence of this type can be used against you. Another symptom of the social outcry. The topic of our podcast being directly involved in this societal rebellion against these witches. He came from a very politically influential family. His father, Increase Mather, he was the president of Harvard College. During his career, he wrote over 400 books and pamphlets. He was known as one of the most influential religious leaders of his time. But today's podcast is not all about the tragedy of the witch trials and Cotton's involvement in that. It's also about something that you may not know about Cotton Mather. But before I get into that, I want to give you some information about some of the witches that were accused and brought to trial because by the time this whole ordeal was over, there were at least 62 people that were brought up on witchcraft charges. See, back in these times, Boston had less than 11,000 people, so we're not dealing with a thriving metropolis here. To give you some examples of some of these accused witches, Sarah Osborne. Now, Sarah rarely attended church, and several Puritans believed that she had her own self-interest in mind when she married an indentured servant. Now, there was an inheritance from her previous marriage, and there was a controversy over how much of that money was supposed to go to her son and how much of it was supposed to be controlled by her. Now, something like that, you know, that's her family's business. But because, just like today, we have a very involved society at the time, a very judgmental society that disapproves of her actions. What's the solution? They accuse her of being a witch. How about Sarah Good? Sarah, at the time, was homeless. She was known in the community from going door-to-door looking for food and shelter. Someone like that, not someone you want in your community. You know, she's just a a low-class beggar. That's not someone that this kind of society wants in their neighborhood. So what did they do? They accused her of being a witch. If you had a child who suffered from epilepsy or some type of hyperactivity that made them act weird, they could easily be accused of being a witch. Back in these times, we didn't have the medical knowledge that we did today, but we did have the same kind of fear of the unknown that we do today. And that same mob mentality, when you get enough people together, guided by fear, and enough anger in a group of people, they will act irrationally, and that's exactly what happened back in these witch trial times. And now, back to Cotton Mather. So we have these witch trials that he's involved in back in 1692. And he continues being a pillar of the community. 
He's very educated. While not a doctor, he is very intelligent and starts to get involved in the medical community. This makes him ripe for the next tragedy to hit the colonies in the Boston area. The next tragedy is the outbreak of smallpox. This is something that Cotton is a lot less well-known for. I remember in history class learning about his involvement in the Salem witch trials, but the smallpox epidemic is something he was directly involved in, and it's something that was a positive contribution of his. While it wasn't directly from his knowledge, and he can't be credited with coming up with the ideas that I'm about to speak of, but he was instrumental in assisting with the smallpox epidemic. Here's what I mean. Smallpox at the time was one of the worst diseases known to mankind. It was extremely contagious, with roughly 30% of the infected people dying from the disease. What brings cotton into the story is something called inoculation. We don't really have a specific date of when it was developed, but we know that it was done back in the 700s, the 900s, early thousands. We've got evidence that it was practiced in India, China, and in Africa, but cotton was credited with bringing inoculation to the United States. However, he did not do it on his own. While he was critical in getting the inoculation technique to the masses, he was not the person who first used this technique in the colonies. Now, before I go into some more about what this inoculation is, flu shots are pretty common these days. You go in and you get vaccinated for the flu shot, and then hopefully if that, if that strain of the flu hits you, you won't get sick. Well, inoculation is something that's kind of different. Here's the basic difference between vaccination and inoculation. Vaccination is what we do today for the flu. It's basically an injection of a harmless form of the flu. It's not going to hurt you, but it gets your body to stimulate an immune response. That way your body gets used to fighting off the disease. So when you actually do get the real flu, your body can fight it off. Now, inoculation is a little bit different. During inoculation, you get injected with the actual dangerous live disease, but you want to do it in a smaller quantity so that your body gets exposed to a little bit of the disease at a time, and then your body can build up its immune system and fight off the part of the disease. So how does that relate to our smallpox epidemic? Basically, the idea was to fight smallpox with smallpox. If you don't know anything about the smallpox disease, it is very, you can Google it and you can, uh, I've just, I've seen some disgusting pictures of it with sores and swollen things all over your body. It's, it's, it's disgusting, but you can Google those images if you want. So the idea of inoculation with smallpox is to take a small amount of smallpox, inject it into a healthy person and then their immune system will be able to fight it off and remain stronger. That way, when they do contract the smallpox virus, they've already developed an immunity for it. But it wasn't Cotton Mather who came up with this idea. The idea is credited to one of Cotton Mather's slaves. This was back in the 1700s. Slavery was common. To tell you more about this slave that Cotton Mather owned, 
and the idea to cure smallpox? Here's the Missouri Department of Health. The year was 1792. A smallpox epidemic is making its way across colonial Boston. Smallpox, known as a disease of princes and paupers, is affecting the wealthy, the poor, and slaves alike. Onesimus, an African-born slave of Puritan minister Cotton Mather, shares an age-old tribal practice that makes one immune to smallpox. Onesimus explains the practice of using a thorn to extract material from the sores of a person infected with smallpox and scratching it into the skin of those who are not infected. Cotton Mather trusts Onesimus and has many people, including his own son, inoculated despite the protests of his peers in colonial Boston. This process is credited with saving many lives and ushered in the practice of smallpox inoculation throughout the United States. How many of you learned that part in your history class? I'm going to say that you didn't. I'm going to say that you didn't know that curing smallpox, the idea came from a slave, or that Cotton Mather was involved in it at all. I'm willing to bet that you've heard of smallpox, may have even heard of all the people that it wiped out in the Boston community back in those days. But that's not the end of our story. Now we have inoculation. But remember what I said before about the society that we're living in. We have a very fearful mob mentality going on in these colonial times. Even though Cotton Mather is in a position of power as a minister... His support of inoculation goes against the teachings of the church. Back in these times, the church taught that God's will was God's will. You don't mess with the human body. If you're taking diseases and injecting them, you're playing God. Now, to someone in modern times, yeah, that seems crazy. Why Why would they think that? He's acting as a doctor. He's trying to help people. That's not how society was back then. People were fearful of what he was doing. There was a huge social outcry. Most of the medical community came out against Cotton and his inoculation idea. They looked at him as a pariah. I mean, here's a guy who supported executing all these witches, and now we're going to listen to him about medical advice? This guy's crazy. Fear and mob mentality. What's next for Cotton? One of the things that happened next was a war of words. Back then, everybody got their news and information, the people who could read, from the local newspaper. Letters were exchanged back and forth from both sides, Cotton Mather pushing for inoculation and physicians pushing against inoculation. And you're thinking, wait a minute, they're a physician and they're against this? Yes, because at the time, again, you have the religious influence, but You're also talking to physicians who cure diseases and make people better, convincing them that injecting the disease into someone is going to help them was the exact opposite of everything they were trained to do. So they weren't going to buy into that. One of the newspapers that published some attacks against Cotton Mather and his inoculation idea came from the New England Courant. What's special about that newspaper? Well... It was started by James Franklin, 
who was James Franklin? The older brother of Benjamin Franklin. Years later, Ben Franklin came out as a supporter of inoculation. Are you starting to see some of the involvement? I know Ben Franklin's a name that you've heard of in the past. Maybe not James Franklin, but you can see how the Franklin family was also involved in this. But back to the fear and mob mentality. With all the public outcry against Cotton Mather, one irate citizen on November 14, 1721, attaches a note that says, Cotton Mather, you dog. Damn you. I'll inoculate you with this, with a pox to you. Attached to that note was a bomb. That bomb was thrown into Cotton Mather's house. Could you see our society today reacting like that? Rioting and throwing bombs? Turn on the news. 1721. Fear and public outcry. Bombs being thrown into houses. We haven't learned anything from this. Fortunately, Cotton Mather lived through this ordeal. I was not able to actually find out if he was in the house at the time of the bombing or if anyone was in the house who was injured or anything. But I do know that it was an attempted assassination because somebody feared progress. They feared something that was different. And out of that fear, they reacted violently instead of taking time to think and see what was actually going on. Cotton was pushing something that was strange and different, that scared people. And in the end, Cotton was right. The inoculation helped fight the smallpox epidemic until a vaccination was actually discovered, and it controlled the outbreak, saving thousands and thousands of lives. So now that you know a little bit more about Cotton, I leave it to you whether you want to condemn him for the Salem witch trials or hold him up as a hero for fighting for what he believed in in inoculation with the smallpox virus. Because you can really only make a decision when you're educated about the topic. Because now you know the rest of the story. I want to thank everyone for listening and for visiting the sponsors and for telling your friends about the show. I mean, we've seen consistent audience growth since 2014 and we're seeing a lot of movement with the sponsors. Please continue to use those discount codes. Today's show brought to you by Lyft, L-Y-F-T. Download the Lyft Taxi app. Use code Derek, D-E-R-E-K, 605503. We've seen a tremendous response with that promo code because every time you use the code, you get your first ride free up to $20, depending on which market you're in, and you get the show paid. That's right. Not only do I use Lyft myself, but... I like their product, and I will only endorse products that I believe in myself. And every time you use that code, setting up your brand new Lyft account, getting your first ride for free, you help support the Derek Izzy Show. So thank you very much for that. So with that, I leave you. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget about Moses. He will be reading five-star reviews that we will draw for every month. So get your five-star review in on iTunes. You can always email me, Derek, at DerekIzzy.com. And until next month's show, good day.